Today is the first Sunday of Advent, which begins the, the, the new liturgical year. It is, the, it is a season, Advent is a season of joyful preparation. Preparation for the coming of Christ. Which is why we sing songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Maranatha, People Look East, all in preparation for the coming of Christ. I think a lot of us think, though, whenever we, whenever we talk about the coming of Christ, we tend to often think about his first coming, his coming as an infant and as a baby. And it's certainly true. We, we, we very much celebrate that and we, we appreciate that and we, we honor that, the incarnation. But really what Advent's about isn't just that coming. It's also, a, it's also an excitement and anticipation of the second coming of Christ. His first coming was in peace, quiet, serenity, to bring us closer to him. The second coming is actually exactly what Jesus prophesied in today's gospel, which is quite frightening, to be honest with you. There will be signs in the sun and moon and the stars, and the heavens will shake. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming to the world. Hmm. Come, Lord Jesus. Be vigilant at all times and pray you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent. These are a lot of very like intense things that I don't know. I gotta admit, I'm not exactly all that excited about whenever I, whenever I, and nor do I even really think about whenever I sing "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." I mean, I'm not exactly ready for war, you know, an assault or, or you know, all, all the things that he's talking about. He's talking about assaults, vigilance, tra- these traps. All these things are very violent. And yeah, that's the thing that we're that he's asking us to to welcome. That's the thing that he's asking us to, to open up our hearts to. Very strange if we think about it, unless we look at it from a different lens. To me, the best image and the best explanation that you can find about the second coming is actually in the second movie, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Mm, love that movie. So what, what I love about it, though, is the final battle. The Battle of Helm's Deep. All you nerds out there know exactly what I'm talking about. Helm's Deep. Now, for those of you who are not nerds and who are not familiar with this, shame on you. you should, everybody should watch this movie. But I'll explain it to you in a little bit. You can also YouTube this to kind of give you a better, better scene on what I'm talking about. But Helm's Deep is a battle that involves good guys and bad guys. The good guys were the men of Rohan, the men of Middle Earth. And what they, what they realized is they were overrun by all these evil orcs. By the, you know, by the, led by the evil wizard Saruman. I know, I, I totally love this stuff. All right. But led by all these, 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 these dark, evil creatures coming their way. And so what do they do? They retreat. And they go into Helm's Deep, which is a massive stone fortress said to be invincible. Said to be, to, to be able to withstand any type of assault by anybody. And so what they realized, once they retreated back in, they realized they were brutally outnumbered. By the bad guys. Now the bad guys were orcs. They were these things called orakai. They were these like giant mutant orcs. And they outnumbered them like five to one. I mean they didn't stand a chance against these guys. Even though they were in this giant fortress. And so what ends up happening is the orakai attack the fortress. And all of the heroes. Aragorn, Gimli, all Legolas, all the people that you know we celebrate and love. All the heroes are trapped in this fortress. And they slowly but surely, these orcs beat them down, beat them down, beat them down, all the way to the drive them into the very heart of this castle. And that's whenever they realize it's over. They don't stand a chance. They're going to lose the fight. And if they're going to do anything, anything to get out of this situation, they're going to have to charge. They're going to have to saddle their horses 
and they're going to have to mount and go out. And that's exactly what they did. They rode their horses, but right before, they realized something that their savior, if you will, said. They realized something that a man by the name of Gandalf, Gandalf the White, Gandalf was the wizard, was the good wizard, not the bad wizard, the good wizard that was on their side. And he said, on the fifth day, look to the east, and I will be there. Look to the east at dawn. And so what do they do? They ride out on the fifth day, they look to the east at dawn, and there he is standing there on his horse, full on white. And what does he have? A giant, massive army to reach absolute destruction upon the Urukai. I mean, the heavens shook, the seas moved, everything. It was apocalyptic upon the Urukai. That is the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ could be an amazing thing if you're fighting for it. Or it could be an absolutely destructive thing if you're part of the Urukai, if you're part of the orcs. Because the fact of the matter is, our situation right now is not necessarily a situation of peace. By being members of the Catholic Church in today's world, in today's culture, in today's environment, we are declaring war. There's a reason why traditionally, whenever people talk, whenever, whenever we classify the members of the church, there's, there's three different types of members. There's the church, church triumphant. That is the people that are in heaven, those, those members of the Catholic Church that are in heaven. There's the church suffering. Those are those who are in purgatory. And then there's the church militant. That's us. We are the guys that are fighting on behalf of the church. We are in a war zone. And just like the men in the two towers, we can very often feel surrounded. We can feel assaulted by a bunch of evil enemies that seem to have more resources at their disposal seem to have more men fighting for them and seem to always have the upper hand on us. And just like the guys fighting in the two towers, just like the men, the heroes, they can feel surrounded on all sides and they can feel very often that they're fighting in vain. That all this work, all this effort, all this, these attempts ultimately aren't going to mean anything. They're not. But the fact of the matter is, it's at that very moment at that very moment, whenever all hope is lost, whenever everything's done, it's at that very moment that Christ comes again. And that's what we have to look forward to. Christ is like Gandalf coming out from the horizon, not to beat us down, but to help us, not to reach, reap destruction on us, but to raise us up and to reap, reap destruction on somebody else. A gr- another great example, another great movie that basically summarizes the second coming of Christ is this. Saving Private Ryan. It's the last battle, all right? And Private Ryan, not Private Ryan, excuse me, the captain, Tom Hanks, is on the defending the bridge that he was set out to defend. And he gets up, and he had just taken a bullet right to the chest. I mean, he's done. He's finished with. And all of a sudden, he's there, right there, on the bridge, and what's coming after him? A massive tank. The guy's through. And so what does he do? He pulls out his pistol and he starts shooting at the tank. Pow! As you can imagine, nothing very much happens. Pow! Yeah, the tank still comes. Pow! And then at that moment, all of a sudden you see the tank explode. The Air Force just came in town. and started dropping bombs and reaping carnage on the enemy. That's the second coming of Christ. 
Christ is coming to shake the mountains, to shake the seas, and to wreak absolute carnage on his enemies. And so that we can be redeemed. That's why he says amidst all of this trial and tribulation, he says, stand erect. Raise your heads because your redemption is at hand. Your redemption is at hand. But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because we're sitting in the church today, everything's hunky-dory. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because we're sitting in the church today, we're all clean. It's not what he's saying. He says, be aware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and anxieties of daily life. And that will catch you by surprise like a trap. What he's getting at is you and I can end up fighting on the wrong team. That the war that we're in is a lot more like the war in Iraq than, the, than, the, the, than World War II. The war in Iraq, you can't always tell who's on your side and who's not. World War II, you could, because everybody was uniform. It's a lot different today. And that's kind of what we're looking at is we can easily fall in and become traitors. We can easily be, be, betray the person of Christ if we don't do three things. So here's what we got to do. If we really want to stay watchful, if we really want to be fighting on the side of Christ and not have a bomb dropped on us, here's what we got to Here's what we got to. Maintain. First thing, be watchful. Keep your eyes open. What he's pointing out, at least what Jesus is pointing out in today's gospel, don't become drowsy. Don't become used to sin. A great, a great image for this is your room. How often do you clean your room? It's nice and pretty. And then, you know, you leave a sock out. Oh, I'll get that later. And before you know it, you leave your homework there. Oh, I'll get that later. And before you know it, and then, like, you know, just stuff piles on. And you get drowsy, and then you have a trashed room. You're like, oh, man, what am I going to do? How'd this end up like this? Because we weren't watchful. That's what, that's what the first thing we need to do is be watchful. Not necessarily of our rooms, but of our souls. A good way to look at that and a good way to maybe start Advent and the new year is to clean your room. One of the things the, the monks used to say is, as the cell, so the soul. Clean your room, might get you started thinking about cleaning your soul. It'd be great. Next thing he says, though, be, be prayerful. Prayerful. Remember, for, for, for centuries, one of the things that the church used to do is they used to pray Mass at Orientum. At Orientum was, as you've probably heard from some people, is, is where the priest had his back to the audience. That's actually not true. The priest, whenever he celebrated Mass, didn't have his back to the audience, the back of the congregation. The priest was facing east. Kind of like looking east, kind of like looking toward, looking for Gandalf. The, feet, the priest was facing east to face Christ and to lead and to watch after Christ. And so what, 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 what the early church fathers used to do is whenever they pray, they would actually find the direction east and pray the Psalms in that direction. I'm not saying you need to do that, but the point being is pr- what, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that prayer is essentially waiting for the second coming of Christ. Prayer is preparing our hearts, being ready, so that whenever he comes, we will be able to see him. He won't take us by surprise, and we won't die of fright all of a sudden. But there's a third component of this that I really want to emphasize, and it's something that, that isn't all that commonly emphasized. First thing, be prayerful. Second thing, be watchful. Third thing, this is what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to be hateful. I'm talking like fill your heart with a whole bunch of rage. And here's why. We're in a war, right? The fact of the matter is the primary motivator behind every single war that's ever been, ra- that's ever been raged has been a deep sense of hatred. 
Hatred toward the enemy. Hatred toward the person that's trying to take your property. Hatred toward the person that's trying to hurt your family. Hatred toward the person that's trying to take your rights. Hatred. And what Jesus challenges every single one of us to do is to have a deep, dark, angry hatred towards sin. I mean, furious at what sin does. I'll give you an example. I hate seeing jealousy. I hate it. I hate seeing what it does to people. I hate seeing how it turns people in. I hate seeing how it, how it makes them isolated, how it makes them miserable. I hate, 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 hate drunkenness. I hate how, it's, how it turns people into these, these slobs. I hate how it turns people into, into what they, who they really aren't. It's a, it sells us short. It makes us into people who we're really not. It strips us of our dignity. I hate seeing lust. I hate, hate seeing what it does to people. Rich that rips everyone of their self-worth and just destroys us. That's what I mean whenever I say hate. You've often heard us say, you know, hate the sin, hate, hate, not hate the sinner. Hate the, hate the sin, love the sinner. But we usually interpret that to mean like, oh, you know, I can't stand the fact that, you know, and this didn't actually happen to me, but I can't stand the fact that my sister was married on a golf course. That's kind of hating the sinner as well. It doesn't really work that way. Don't go and tell your sister that. But what, what it's about is hate the effects that sin reach, reaps on people. Hate the misery. Hate the anxiety. Hate the problems that it, that it introduces into the world. And hate the fact that it destroys our army. And here's what the reason why I'm asking all you guys to hate sin. Because whenever we hate sin, whenever we drive it out, what we're doing is we're making space. We're making space for joy. We're making space for peace. We're making space for Jesus who came 2,000 years ago in a cradle to enter into our hearts. Because that's where the war really is. The war, yes, can be outside. Yes, we need to, we need to you know, fight abortion. Yes, we need, to, we, need to, we need to correct these errors that we have on birth control. Yes, we've got to do all the Catholic stuff that we need to do outside in the world. I get it. I agree. But it starts with our hearts. And if we don't have a deep hatred of sin for our, within our hearts, what difference is it going to make outside in the outside world? It's not going to have much effect. And if we don't have a real hatred for sin, we'll never have the peace and the joy that we boast We'll never, ever be able to stand up tall like Jesus is asking us to stand up tall whenever he comes for the, for, for the second coming. But, but if we can do that, if we can really be watchful, if we can really be prayerful, if we can really be, dare I say, hateful, then I think we'll be very, very pleased with, with the outcome. I think we'll be able to be confident. I think we'll be able to be happy. I think we'll be able to be joyful, knowing full well the team that we're fighting on, the battle and the war that we're waging will be the one that wins and that we will be able to enjoy this victory for the rest of eternity. Amen.